Good evening, everyone. This is Sue Strafasi. I'm calling. I'm here from Braille Institute Child Development Services, and we're partnering with the Center for the Farsi Sighted to bring you this telephone education series featuring Dr. Bill Takesha, Takeshida, Chief of Optometric Services and Coordinator of the Children's Programs for the Center for the Farsi Sighted, as well as the Director of Low Vision Training for Braille Institute. So we are, again, we're just pleased to have him tonight. Tonight's topic is what is a clinical low vision exam? And from here, I'll just take, give it to you, Dr. Bill. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Sue, for organizing all of these lectures and putting things on. And we would also especially like to thank Mr. Dick Burden from yes. Airs LA who is recording this. And we will have this available for you to listen to at your leisure and it will be available at the Braille Institute webpage at www.brailleinstitute.org, and it will also be available at airsla.org, and that is www.airsla.org. And if you go to either of these two webpages, you'll find previous lectures where we have spoken about different topics, so you could refer to those if you have a client or a student who might have a condition that falls within those topics. Well, tonight we're going to talk about something that I think is extremely important, and I think that this is something that would be so helpful if every child could have, and this is called a functional vision examination. Now, to many doctors, when we talk about examining a child, we may all think that we're doing the same thing. We're having a eye doctor who specializes in children to examine the eyes or the visual system of the child. But in reality, the eye examinations that are provided by many different eye doctors can be very, very different. The first thing for parents to understand is that the first doctor that most children are going to be examined by will be a pediatric ophthalmologist. And what an ophthalmologist is, they are medical doctors who specialize in diagnosing and treating visual disorders of children with use of medications, surgery, glasses, and other types of medical treatments. In many cases, the pediatric ophthalmologist will be the person to identify that the cause of the child's vision problem is not necessarily due to a problem with the eyes, but it could be a problem related to the brain. It could be a problem that's related to the chromosomes or the genetics types of disorders, or it could be something that is even more complicated, which involves a syndrome of one type or another. After a child is examined by the pediatric ophthalmologist, it is then recommended that a child is seen by a developmental optometrist or a developmental ophthalmologist. Now, what a developmental optometrist or a developmental ophthalmologist does is that they study the development of vision. Many people don't know that vision develops at different rates for different children. So, for example, the vision of a one-month-old may be very, very different than that of a three-month-old because during those first three months, there's many changes that occur to the brain, and this is what allows a child to see more details, or the child may see more colors. For example, one of the things that we often get from parents is that parents will say, you know, my child 
really only seems to be interested in looking at black and white toys. Whereas another parent who has a three-month-old child, they may say, you know, my child is looking at toys with colors and all sorts of other colorful objects as well. Well, the difference between that is because during that time period between one month of life and three months of life, the development of color vision takes place. So it is very, very common, very common that a one-month-old may not look at colorful toys, whereas a three-month-old or a six-month-old will be very interested in looking at the colorful toys. So a developmental eye doctor would be the second doctor that the child should see, and during the developmental vision examination, the doctor is there trying to determine what is the functional vision of the child. We look at many different aspects of vision so that we could then help parents and teachers for the visually impaired and early intervention specialists to perform visual activities that can promote the development of vision. We see this quite common, that there may be children who are born with low vision, and by providing them with visual stimulation activities, their vision may improve. So, for example, there may be many times that a child may not have peripheral vision on the right side of either eye. These kids often will never turn their head towards the right side, and it's because they don't see things on the right side. Well, we will recommend specific types of activities and sometimes use different glasses that will force the child to use the peripheral vision on the right side. And we later learn that children may then develop better awareness of peripheral vision on the right side. So within a matter of months, they will have developed some peripheral vision. So the first thing that we do in the functional vision assessment is that we will actually contact the families by telephone and we will ask a lot of different types of questions. We want to know things such as, how was your pregnancy? Was it a pregnancy that was unexpected or was it expected? During the pregnancy, were there any types of accidents that may have occurred? For example, were you in an automobile accident and maybe did the baby suffer from any kind of trauma while the baby was still in the womb? Was there any exposure to alcohol or to drugs? It's very, very common that many mothers, they're not aware that they are pregnant or they weren't expecting to become pregnant, and they may have an occasional drink or they may go to a party and party a little bit. And this type of exposure to alcohol or to drugs often can affect the development of vision. We see that there's other situations in which maybe the mother was taking different types of medications. If a mother has a seizure disorder or a mother is taking Dilantin, this is something that can affect the development of vision as well. So we look at all of these history questions that relate to the development of the child, and this also helps us to somewhat make a tentative type of diagnosis of what may be wrong. If a child was born premature, especially if the child is born before 28 weeks of gestation, we often find that these children often have a disorder of the retina called retinopathy of prematurity. With children with this type of condition, it's very, very important that 
the child with retinopathy and prematurity sees a retina specialist regularly because we know that there may be bleeding to the eye and scarring, and when the child is seen by the retina specialist, the doctor could treat that, and that could often prevent total blindness. We also looked about the family history. Many times a family may have a history of eye problems. They may all wear glasses, or they may have a crossed eye or a turned eye. Or in other cases, family members may all have nystagmus, where the eyes will shake uncontrollably. When we know that type of information, it gives us a better idea of what's going to be the best way to treat these types of problems on the very, very young child. Children who may have a, a crossed eye or a turned eye, or if they have nystagmus where the eyes shake, very often we will prescribe what are called prism glasses. And these prism glasses will help the children to learn to coordinate the muscles that rise together. For many of the kids, we're also going to recommend different types of equipment. We may recommend something that is called a light box. And this is a box of light that's about the size of a sheet of paper. And we could place colored types of patterns on there. At first, we might start off with black and white patterns. Later, we may use different colors. But these are very stimulating to children, and we will present this. Just place it in front of the child's eyes for part of the day, and this will stimulate the visual centers of the brain to help vision develop. More recently, we have found that the iPad, the Apple iPad, is really another great tool that we could use to stimulate the development of vision. And with many school districts and different organizations, we will write a prescription for these devices, and many times the agencies, they will loan it to the family, or often they will purchase it for the family. And other times we have other agencies, such as foundations, that will help to pay for these for some of the patients that cannot afford it. So once we get this kind of information about the child, we then will have you come into the office for an evaluation, and the functional examination is quite different than other examinations because it takes a long time. We literally will spend about an hour making observations of your child and doing other specific tests so that we could find out how much vision does your child have. We will compare your child's vision to what is expected. So for example, for a newborn baby or a baby that's about one month old, their vision is usually best when they look at objects that are black and white and we position the objects at about 8 to 16 inches away. Now, when a child becomes a bit older, at three months of age, they then have the ability to see most of the primary colors, red and blue and green and yellow. These are colors that the child can then usually see at that time, and the child could usually see at a further distance. So we will determine whether the child's visual development, if it seems to be on track or if it's way behind. And when we know what distance that the child sees best, we could tell the parents and the teachers and the staff, this is a distance that we're going to present the light box or the iPad or these colorful toys. We also will then identify what color patterns would be best to use to stimulate the child's interest the best. 
We will then also perform what's called a refraction. And the refraction is a way to determine whether or not glasses might help the child to focus and see things more clearly. The way that we do this is that we use an instrument, and this instrument shines a beam of light, a straight line of light into the eye of the child. And when we as doctors look inside the eye, we could see whether that beam of light, if it is focusing sharply on the retina inside the eye, or if it's focus blurred. If it's focus blurred, we then put lenses in front of the eye until it focuses it very sharply, and that's how we know what is the best pair of glasses that will help the child to see the best at these different distances. So it's very, very simple. We really don't have to try to ask the child, which is clear, one or two. We don't need the child to speak. And this is another reason why developmental optometrists are often the people who will examine children who have speech and language problems. We see a lot of children who have autism because children with autism often have difficulties with communicating. So we could perform these tests and we don't have to rely on the child speaking. Developmental optometrists also perform a lot of examinations on children who have other types of syndromes, Down syndrome, we see a lot of children who have cerebral palsy, and we work with a lot of adults who have suffered from stroke and cannot talk any longer as well. The next area that we look at are what are called the eye muscle skills. And the eyes have six muscles that surround each eye, and there are muscles that open and close the eyelids. So we, we evaluate the function of those muscles and the nerves that control those muscles. This is something that's very, very important because sometimes if the eye muscles are not working properly, this might be an indication that there's a problem in another part of the brain. For example, the brain stem is where there are different areas that are going to control some of these different muscles. So we may see certain behaviors in some children that may suggest that they may have another problem and we might refer them to a neurologist for additional testing. So, for example, there are some times that we may see that a child cannot move the eyes in a particular direction, and we also notice that the child has difficulties with smiling. This might be an indication of another problem, such as Mobius syndrome, and we will refer these children to your neurologist to see if there's additional types of treatment that can be performed. So when we look at the eye muscles, it gives us an idea of how well that the brain is functioning, and it also can tell us whether or not we need to perform any kind of vision stimulation to help to develop better movement of those eye muscles. The reason it's so important to look at these eye muscles is that many, many children will have something that is called strabismus. And strabismus means that the alignment. The alignment of the two eyes is not perfect. So, for example, one eye or both eyes, they might be pointing inward a little bit, so the eyes are a little bit cross-eyed. Or it might be that one eye is pointing outward a little bit. Well, what happens when a child has strabismus is that these children often will see double vision. And when they see double vision, 
these children are less likely to make eye contact with their mother or father. They are less likely to be motivated to reach for objects because when they look and reach for something, maybe it's their bottle, they see two of them. They are often also very reluctant to try to crawl and to move because when they move and they crawl, they often will bump into the corner of a door because they're seeing double vision. So when a child is very young, usually during the first 12 months of life that they have strabismus, we do try to perform vision therapy where we will prescribe glasses and other types of exercises to try to teach the child to coordinate the two eyes together. In other words, it is more common that during the first 12 months of life that a child will have strabismus. But we see that after the age of 12 months, many times the strabismus will then go away. And the reason for this is because the regions of the brain that control the two eyes together, they become more mature. So as a result, many times we don't rush into surgery for the very young children because we'll see that as they grow older, the alignment of the eyes will change. As a result, if a child has a very severely crossed eye when they're very young at birth and they have surgery, we often will find by the time that the child is 14 or 15 months, at that time then the eyes start to drift outward and they have to have a second surgery. And we really don't want the children to have to have too many surgeries because it is something that is invasive there is a chance that there is going to be scar tissue that develops in the area of the eye muscles. And for any child and the family itself, too, undergoing anesthesia and having a medical procedure like that is something that is often very scary. So we do look at the eye muscle control very, very carefully. The next thing that we do is we then look at the head control. How well is a child able to control the position and the movement of the head. We see that there's a lot of children that will have a head tilt. And we need to find out, is this child's head tilting towards the left shoulder or the right shoulder because there's a weakness to the muscles of the neck? Or is the child tilting the head because this is the way that the child can eliminate double vision? We see very, very often that a child may have one eye that is pointing higher than the other eye. And this causes the child to see double vision, and the way that the child can eliminate the double vision is to tilt the head. We also see other situations where a child might tilt the head forward or backwards, and this is another way that the child eliminates the double vision. So we can then perform different types of visual treatments to help the child to learn to coordinate the two eyes together thus eliminating the double vision, and then the child will then develop straighter head posture. So as a result, the developmental optometrist, we often receive a lot of referrals from physical therapists where they often observe this kind of head tilt and they want to rule out, make certain that the child is not doing this because he or she is seeing double vision. One way that you as parents or if you're teachers or other therapists working with children can look at this, if you see a child who has a head tilt or a head turn or anything different that looks that the head is 
not positioned straight, you could use a bandage patch and you could patch one eye. If you notice that when you patch one eye, that the position of the head becomes normal, that usually then suggests that the cause of the head tilt or the head turn is a visual problem. So again, to repeat that, let's say that you see a little child and when the child is beginning to sit, every time that he sits, he tilts his head towards his right shoulder or his left shoulder. Well, if you put a patch over one eye and then you let the child play or eat and you notice that the head is now straight, there's a very, very good chance that the reason that the head tilt is because one of the eyes is misaligned. So you want to make certain that the child is seen by a developmental eye doctor who could look for this kind of a head tilt. Another really good thing is that if you do make a referral, another really good thing is that if you do make a referral to a doctor and there's a specific concern that you have, write a little note or call the doctor or if you can't attend the appointment with the family and you could explain to the doctor what you saw and what you did. That will be very, very helpful for many doctors because a lot of the doctors will not spend that much time with the child. Many of the pediatric ophthalmologists, they may see as many as 50 to 75 patients each morning. So they do not have a time, enough time to perform every test that is, that is possible. The next thing that we do in the developmental functional vision assessment is we will then measure the child's clarity of sight. We want to see whether or not the child is seeing things clearly or blurry. And one of the ways that we do that for very young children is that we use something called the Teller Acuity Cards. And these are cards that are about three feet wide by about one foot tall. And what they consist of is that on one side of the stripe uh, of the card is going to be stripes and the other side is going to be completely gray. So when we flash the card in front of the child, the child is usually going to search for the stripe and they will move their head or they move their eyes until they see the stripe. When the eyes and the head are positioned towards stripe, we can then tell that the child sees it. We then get the next card. Now the next card has thinner stripes, and we repeat the same thing until eventually the child cannot identify or locate where the stripes are. When we identify that the child cannot locate the stripe, we could then determine what is the child's clarity of sight. So what we do with this information is that we could then determine, number one, if the child's sight is not what is expected, we then know that the child may need to wear glasses where the glasses may be able to magnify what the child sees. Number two, if a child has one eye in which the sight is blurrier than the other, we will often do exercises where we force the blurrier eye to work a little bit harder. Now what we do with that is we will sometimes place a patch over the stronger eye or we might prescribe glasses and we will patch one of the lenses of the glasses to force a child to use the weaker eye. By patching one eye for about one to two hours per day, 
it will force the child to use the weaker eye, and that will stimulate the brain cells that correspond to that eye, and we will very often find that the vision can improve dramatically. So, for example, if there's a child who has 2200 vision in one eye, and then the other eye sees 2020, we want to do this type of patching to force the child to use a weaker eye. And we may see, it's not very, very uncommon, that we'll see that after three months of patching, the vision of the 2200 eye will improve to 2050 or 2060. So in a very short amount of time, we can improve the vision by just stimulating it with this type of patching. Another thing that we will test in the functional assessment is we will test the child's color vision. We want to find out if there's certain colors that the child may be able to see better. One of the more common types of eye disorders that we see is something that is called optic nerve hypoplasia. This is a condition in which the optic nerve that sends information from the eye to the brain is smaller than normal. Well, these children very often have difficulties with seeing certain colors. So when they do have problems seeing these certain types of colors, we identify which colors that they have problems seeing, and we will tell the parents and the teachers to use other specific colors during the early years of life. Later, we will often use tinted lenses to try to enhance the color vision for those weaker colors. The use of special lighting is also very important for children who have color vision problems so that if you're at home, if you're in the classroom, and you're using activities that have different colors, by using different types of lamps and special light bulbs, it could help the child to see these colors much more easily. We will also look at peripheral vision. We talked about how peripheral vision is something that can develop in many children, and we know that peripheral vision is very, very important for mobility. In other words, the children who have poor peripheral vision often have difficulty sitting independently. They often are less likely to be crawling, and they often have difficulty with walking. When they crawl and they walk and they run, they often don't see obstacles on either side of them, and as a result, these kids like to just stay on the floor where they feel more secure. Well, when a child has peripheral vision problems, there are visual stimulation activities that we perform to help the child to learn to scan with their eyes faster. We also have lenses, prism glasses that we could also use that may expand a child's peripheral vision. And we also will use different types of patching. For example, there are some children, especially the child who has weakness to one side of the body, these kids often cannot see peripherally on that same side, and we will use special type of patching to the glasses to help the child to learn to see on that other field more quickly and more easily. Now, for some of the kids who are a bit older, when they're about three and a half, we will then often perform what's called visual perception testing. And visual perception is a term that we use that describes how does the brain process what has been seen. We may do activities where we will try to see, can a child stack blocks? If we use different shape blocks, 
can the child copy what we have made? Will we use other types of tests where the child will have to try to find the exact same thing that we are showing them? We will test their memory. Can that child remember what he or she has seen? Now, these visual perception skills are very important as we then determine what type of school placement that the child might be best served in. There may be some children who have very, very clear sight, but their visual perception might be very poor, and this is information that the schools really appreciate knowing beforehand. In these cases, many times the children will perform special types of activities to develop their visual perception. This might be performed with their parents, or it might be with one of their vision teachers or an occupational therapist or an eye doctor. But when a child has weak visual perception skills, they often have significant difficulty at school, and the visual perception is something that needs to develop. So once we perform all of this testing, it usually takes about an hour or so to perform this type of testing. We then write a comprehensive report that is describing each of these visual skills. And the report is something that is written in layman's terms so that anybody who reads it could understand it and understand how this affects the child's ability to perform daily activities or other types of functions. The report will then also include recommendations as to whether or not the child needs glasses. Should the child be patched? Do the glasses need to be patched? Does a child need any kind of low vision aid, such as specialized low vision glasses or video monitors? There are computerized video monitors that will magnify anything that the child puts underneath it. Or should the child be using specialized computers? Or maybe the child should be introduced to Braille. You know, it was just a couple of weeks ago that I took my first intensive course in learning Braille, and I was just so, so impressed at how effectively these teachers can introduce such a complex process to you and make it so easy. And I could see how it could be very, very helpful for very young children to become introduced to Braille. You know, in the past, I used to think that a child either is going to read with their eyes or they're going to read Braille with their hands. But I now really understand that Braille is just an additional language. It's just like if a child wants to speak English and speak French, you know the child is capable of doing that. So for many children, we might recommend that the child learns pre-Braille skills at a very early age. And this will be something that could be very, very helpful. In addition, I think that it would be very helpful for parents to consider taking one of these types of Braille classes, these intensive Braille classes. This would be a great way that you could learn to read and write Braille. And for some things, not all things, but for some things, it might be easier for your child to read and write in Braille as compared to visually. For example, if a child is simply becoming tired when he or she reads books, Braille may be the answer. Or if a child has a filing cabinet and they try to file things, it might be easier to label the files in Braille rather than the child to have to get too close to the files and to try to read it 
with his or her eyes. So there's many different strategies where using vision and Braille simultaneously could be very, very helpful. Now, what about the cost of a functional vision assessment? A functional vision assessment is something that is going to be priced differently depending on who is a doctor who is performing that type of evaluation. At our center, the Center for the Partially Sighted, uh, we will usually bill our functional vision assessment to Medi-Cal. Medi-Cal is a Medicaid type of program in the state of California that is available to help children who are visually impaired or families who have low income. So this type of evaluation it is then billed to Medi-Cal, and for many of our families, they don't have to pay anything for it. In other cases, if a family does not have Medi-Cal and they're going to pay for it out of their pocket, the price may be any place between $145 to $175 for that complete evaluation and the written report. So relatively speaking, it is quite affordable considering the fact that many other eye examinations are about $350. The report is something that is, again, distributed to the family and to all of the therapists and the teachers and any of the child's doctors. So this way the entire team is going to be on the same page as to what is happening. This also helps the ophthalmologists who are working with a child because it gives them particular types of information that they won't have to try to determine. Many, many pediatric ophthalmologists, for example, such as some retina specialists, all that they do is look at the retina, which is, again, extremely, extremely important, but they are not really as comfortable with measuring a child's prescription or measuring what a child could see. So as a result, we often will work together as a team, and this keeps everybody on the same page. When a child has a functional vision assessment, we do recommend that this is something that you will take to your child's school. If your child has an individual educational program, you could take this report to the IEP meeting, and this is something that's often discussed by the entire IEP team. And this is where many of the recommendations can be implemented into the child's program. So, for example, we may recommend that your child sits in the front of the classroom or that your child has access to a special lamp when it's circle time and the teacher is showing a picture in a book. Or we may recommend that your child has access to a specialized computer with a larger monitor and a built-in magnifier inside the computer screen. These reports that we write will include those types of recommendations, so it makes it much easier for the parents when they go into the meeting to ask for certain things. You could simply give them the report, and then these will be things that the IEP team will discuss. So parents often say that makes it very, very helpful. In addition, if you do have an IEP meeting, and you would prefer that the doctor who examined your child attends, um, we very, very frequently will attend these types of IEP meetings by telephone. So we could call and get on the speakerphone 
and we could answer any questions maybe that the teacher or the school nurse or the principal or anybody may have, and we could explain anything that they may not be completely clear of. And they really, really, really appreciate that very, very much. So all in all, the functional vision assessment is something that is very, very important, and it is something that must be performed for each child in addition to the examination by the ophthalmologist. We do recommend that a child has a functional vision assessment at least once a year, and for many children, we will see them every six months because during the early years of life, years one, two, and three, the eyes change and grow, and there's often a lot of changes, so the child might need the glasses prescription adjusted and so on and so forth. Okay? So... um are there any questions, or Sue, are there any comments about the functional vision report that uh, you'd like to add to it? And for all of you who are on the line, if you press star six, uh, we'll open it up to discussion, and you could go ahead and ask questions. If you'd like to, you could announce your name. If you prefer not to, you don't have to say who you are. So go ahead and press star six, and Sue, do you have anything that you'd like to add at this point in time? No, I think you covered it all, Dr. Bill. It's great. Thank you. Okay. Are there any any questions that anybody has out there? Press star six. I guess one other question that many of you might have is how do you find a doctor who could perform the functional low vision examination? And uh, depending on what state that you're in, you could always feel free to email myself and you could email me at Dr. Bill Foundation, and that's D-R-B-I-L-L Foundation at Gmail. Just let me know what city that you're in, and then I'll find a doctor for you. Does anybody else have any other questions out there? I have a question. This is Leslie Bailiff from Northern California. Yes, thank you. How are you this evening? Fine, thank you. Oh, good. I have a little bit of a question about the difference between some low vision, pediatric low vision doctors and like a university setting. Um, I know in Northern California, a lot of our kids don't have an opportunity to go to, you know, a low vision doctor other than UC Berkeley. And um, I didn't know if there was much of a difference between a university setting and a regular clinic setting. Yeah, the question is, is there a difference between different types of eye doctors and the answer to that it would be yes. And the reason that I say that is that the majority, the majority of pediatric eye doctors are most familiar and most accustomed to examining children who really have healthy eyes and normal vision or that the visual centers of the brain are developing quite well. So those doctors are often very comfortable in evaluating the child who is healthy. When they receive a referral of a child who might be sick, for example, a child who might have a severe seizure disorder and a child who may have a brain tumor or a child who has some of these other types of medical conditions, sometimes those pediatric doctors may not be quite as comfortable. So in Northern California, the UC Berkeley School of Optometry is probably one of the better places to be evaluated. 
uh, have these children evaluated. And you do want to request one of the doctors that is familiar in working with the children with low vision. In Southern California, there's also what is called the Southern California College of Optometry. And there's two different pediatric programs. One pediatric program is to evaluate children who are, quote, typical and healthy, but they may have a crossed eye or they may need glasses. And then there's another pediatric program that really specializes more in the low vision child. So when you do call them, you want to try to make the appointment with somebody who has experience with the child who has low vision. That, that's the key term. Now, when we talk about these schools of optometry, there are, I believe, 19 schools of optometry throughout the United States. And these are, again, very good places for a child to be evaluated. However, I must also remind you that the person who is generally performing the evaluation is generally a student. These are generally people who are not quite yet doctors. So when you do make an appointment for a child, you may request that the child is examined by one of the staff doctors, or it might be one of the resident doctors, or one of the fellow doctors, as compared to one of the students. Because we have had situations where sometimes Families have come in and they said, you know, we were kind of disappointed when we went to such and such a place because uh, we didn't realize it was just only going to be students. And these students were very uncomfortable examining my child. They, they have never seen a child like my child before. So you can call and you can request that the examination will be with one of the doctors, and that would be very helpful. Next question. Sue, you want to go ahead and tell everybody about how your staff attends these functional vision assessments? Um, sure, sure. Well, unlike many uh, agencies and organizations and such, we find it's very, very helpful to go along on the doctor visits with the family um, to go to the functional vision assessment. Um, the work that we do with the families and the homes to try and um, you know, do our observations and um, kind of uh, look at progress and and, and be able to kind of work with the family to kind of come up with a, um, a, a sense of what they what we believe the child might be seeing or doing, then being able to share that information with the developmental optometrists like yourself or your staff, I think it, it really adds a lot to to the whole experience, and we come away learning so much more when we you can take that information and then help to um, identify specific areas where the child has vision strengths and maybe some areas where we could work on together. Um, certainly the strategies in terms of patching and such are, are critical for us to understand what types of things would be best to um, help the family be able to um, work on. I know oftentimes we have uh, patching regimes, regimes that are regimens that are, you know, maybe four or five hours if the child needs to be patched. And, Sometimes it's very difficult for a child to be patched for that period of time all at once. And so to be able to come up with ways to kind of break that down with um, with you during those, those exams has been very helpful for myself and the staff um, to be able to help the family kind of build the 
child's stamina in regard to catching and um, build activities that keep the child's interest. So, yeah, we've had lots of great success, and it's been really, really helpful to all of us. And I think it's also good to have another person there to support the parents. Absolutely. I, I know that there's so many times that the parents, they come in and they're, they're more nervous than the child, and they, they truly can't remember what we said. Mm-hmm. We often will have them call back after the exam and say, you know, Dr. Bell, I'm so sorry, but I, I, I don't remember. What did you say? What did yeah. you say? Can my child see or not? Mm-hmm. And and so they say, you know, I have my husband here, and we're going to go on speakerphone, and can you tell us everything again? It's because there's so much information, and they're watching everything we do, and it, it, it's such a exciting day, they can't remember things. So yeah. bringing, well, yeah, it could be overwhelming, and, and bringing uh, a caretaker or a friend or someone else who could be supportive with you is really helpful so that, if you forget something that the doctor may have said, that other person could say, oh, no, 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 I know the doctor said uh, he could see colors. I know that he said that uh, he should be wearing glasses and so on and so forth. So that would be really helpful. Yeah, that's, that's a huge part of it. Thank you. <laughs> Are there other questions that anybody else has out there? Or does anybody else have any other comments? Anybody want to share uh, any type of experiences you have had during a functional vision assessment or the ways that your organization does things with the children? Okay. That's fine. That's fine. Well, I think everybody probably wants to go outside and have a nice ice cream sundae in the summer sky, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's been warm. (laughs) Yeah, so I just want to, again, I want to thank Mr. Dick Burden for making this recording. And, again, we'll be up at the BrailleInstitute.org website and the airsla.org website. And, Sue, you want to tell everybody what is the topic for next month? Yeah. um, Next month we'll be talking about um, selecting glasses for a child with low vision. I know that was a question that a lot of our families were have questions about and how to, you know, basically find glasses that are good fits as well as what are the lenses and why why are they certain shapes and why are they certain, you know, strengths and things of that nature. So I think it will be something we'll all be benefit from. And it is October 9th at 7.30. Okay, great, great. Okay, well, thank you, everybody, for attending this evening. And, again, if you have any questions that you'd like to send, you could email it to me at drbillfoundation at gmail.com. Great. Thanks, Dr. Bill. That was fantastic, really really informative. I feel like I've, I learned a lot of good information, good practical information I can take with me. Oh, great. Thank you. Okay, we'll see everybody next month then. Thank you.